0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Renal colic, one of the most intense types of pains in our clinical practices. How can we help these stones pass without resorting to an invasive urologic procedure? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. With me today is Dr. John Hollingsworth from the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan Medical Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hollingsworth. Thanks for having me, Lee. Tell us a little bit about this paper that you published in Lancet last year commenting on medical expulsive therapy for helping these stones to pass.
1: Uh, Surely. So in the urology literature over the last several years, there have been several reported randomized clinical trials uh, where investigators have looked at the use of calcium channel blockers as well as alpha blockers as adjuvant therapies to help patients pass their ureteral calculi when they've presented to outpatient urology departments in emergency rooms with renal colic. The idea basically is that there are calcium channel receptors and alpha receptors that line the ureteral smooth muscle, which help to relax the ureter in the area of the ureteral calculus and hopefully promote urinary stone passage. The idea that we had was that urinary calculi are a very common problem that affect a variety of patients, both in the urology office as well as the emergency room and the primary care physician's office, and that given that the majority of these studies have been published in the urology literature, a knowledge gap may exist between us as urologists and uh, emergency room physicians and primary care physicians. So with that in mind, we set about conducting a systematic review of, of the world's literature and then pooled the results of the RCTs, which we identified, to come up with a pooled estimate of efficacy of these agents in helping to facilitate urinary stone passage.
0: Meta-analysis is a a nice technique, but often fraught with some difficulties. Did you find some heterogeneity in these studies? What challenges did you encounter?
1: You're definitely right. With the meta-analysis, you're kind of limited by the, the quality of the studies with which you're working one of my mentors used to say garbage in equals garbage out so um, you can't really polish bad studies, and there definitely were limitations with some of the studies that we looked at. In terms of the meta-analysis itself, for, for um, those listeners who are familiar with a lot of the, the literature on medical expulsive therapy or the medical therapy that we refer to to facilitate urinary stone passage, there was no statistical heterogeneity between the studies which we pulled. But of the studies which we were included in our main meta-analysis, none of the trials actually had placebo-controlled arms. So in most of these studies, they were comparing an agent, either a calcium channel blocker or an alpha blocker, against standard conservative therapy, which consists of oral hydration and oral analgesics. In terms of the quality of the studies, there were several studies where there was a poor description of a randomization of the trials. There was also only a handful of the trials, investigators and patients were blinded to the treatment type to which the patient was randomized. So we weren't dealing with the highest quality of studies, so that there is that caveat when interpreting the results from our
0: meta-analysis. Interesting. So we have to keep that in mind, but when you did pool these studies, how many patients were we talking about? Uh, were they fairly consistent in their findings?
1: They were. So in total, there were 693 patients that were randomized between the nine studies, which we ended up pooling, and the results were fairly consistent across all of the studies. Uh, risk ratio was 1.65, indicating that patients who received either calcium channel blockers or alpha blockers had a a 65% greater risk of stone passage versus those who did not receive treatment with one of those two agents. A fairly significant finding, in fact, the number needed to treat was four.
0: That's impressive. That's certainly a very easy to understand clinical number that you treat four patients with these therapies and you're going to significantly help one of them, that's very impressive. And the absolute numbers were were quite interesting. Uh, If I'm looking at this correctly, with the medical therapy, 78% of patients passed the stone, whereas without, only 47% were able to pass the stone in question. Exactly. And I saw that some of the studies also used some corticosteroids. Is that to reduce the inflammation in the ureter? Or?
1: That would be the idea behind use of corticosteroids. That's a practice which is much more common in Europe. And uh, if you look at the origination of most of these studies, these were trials that were conducted in Eastern Europe, in the Mediterranean, where steroid use in the treatment of the patient with renal colic from a ureteral calculus is much more common than here in the States. As a practice, our group here at the University of Michigan typically does not prescribe patients uh, steroids with renal calculi. In terms of medical explosive therapy, we typically pre- prescribe either a single-agent calcium channel blocker or an alpha blocker.
0: You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. John Hollingsworth from the University of Michigan Department of Urology, and we are discussing medical exp- balsive therapy for kidney stones. Well, can we look specifically at the the two types of medicines in question? Tell us about the results with calcium channel blockers.
1: So, uh, Lee, we did sub-analyses where we kind of parsed out the effects of calcium channel blockers with steroids. There were a limited number of studies which looked at calcium channel blockers. In those studies, calcium channel blockers were combined with steroids versus traditional therapy. We actually found that the pulled risk ratio was 1.90, meaning that for patients who received the combination of a calcium channel blocker with corticosteroids, there was a 90% higher risk of spontaneous stone passage than in those who didn't receive it. Typical doses of calcium channel blocker, I must say that when I say calcium channel blocker, I'm really referring to nifedipine, which was the calcium channel blocker used in all those trials. The typical dose was 30 milligrams taken daily of a sustained release formulation.
0: Okay, so a fairly low dose of nifedipine, and uh, really there were not trials looking at the other types of calcium blockers. Were these uh, typically given right in the emergency room, right at the time of diagnosis, or later on in the course?
1: For most of these patients, therapy was instituted at the time of diagnosis. And then uh, treatment duration did vary across studies, ranging from as little as a week to as long of duration as up to uh, six
0: weeks. I imagine, since nifedipine tends to be well-tolerated, that this was a fairly well-tolerated intervention?
1: Yes. uh, Side effects were actually minimal in the studies, with the caveat that side effects weren't well measured. Typically, patients did complain of dizziness, lightheadedness, and those sorts of side effects. But in general, the calcium channel blocker therapy was well tolerated.
0: And then alpha blockers were also studied. And did we see specific alpha blockers or, or were there different ones?
1: The use of alpha blockers really kind of spread the, the gamut of different alpha blocker therapy. Look, some studies actually looked at non-specific alpha blockers, including terazosin, doxazosin. And then others looked at alpha select alpha blockers, specifically uh, tamsulosin.
0: In the sub-analysis, was there a similar success rate as with the nifedipine?
1: Yeah. In our pooled risk ratio in which we looked at the alpha blockers, we found patients were at a 54% greater risk of spontaneous stone passage when receiving alpha blocker therapy compared to traditional conservative therapy.
0: Of course, when you're using risk, that's a good thing in this setting. We want that stone to pass. And again, these were given at the time of diagnosis?
1: Yes, yes. As with the calcium channel blockers, these medical therapies were instituted at the time of urinary and calculus diagnosis.
0: And I don't know if you recall, the, the dosage range, you know, the nifedipine dose was kind of the starting dose we used for nifedipine for several indications. What were the doses for the different alpha blockers?
1: For tamsulosin, the typical dose was 0.4 milligrams daily, which is actually the the same dose that we typically use for treating patients with benign prosthetic hyperplasia. For the doxazosin and terazosin, for the uh, non-select alpha blockers, typical doses used of the terazosin were 5 milligrams daily and for the doxazosin, 4 milligrams daily.
0: Standard dose for the, the Flomax and then for the, the Cardura and the Hytrin, pretty medium doses. Were these well-tolerated?
1: Yeah, again, it, it's with the caveat that side effects weren't well recorded in these trials. But again, the incidence of side effects were low with these treatment modalities. Patients did report headaches, dizziness, Diarrhea, abnormal ejaculation, as to be expected with alpha blockers, but for the most part well
0: tolerated by the study participants. Seems like we have two safe classes of drugs that can really make a significant impact, based on the number needed to treat and the other data that you've shared. Are we internists and ER doctors stepping up to the plate and using these therapies?
1: That's a good question, and it's one which we're pursuing as investigators here at the university. We're currently in the process of looking at some administrative data from a nationwide sampling of both primary care physician's offices as well as emergency rooms to really quantify the diffusion of this technology into practice. Additionally, we're using some administrative data to look at the clinical effectiveness of these drugs and both facilitating stone passage as well as obviating the need for surgery for those patients with ureteral calculi. Of course, the um, RCT tells us the efficacy of the drug, and what we are trying to determine is the real-world effectiveness of these therapies.
0: Is work going on to kind of unify this body of information so that we have a preferred drug at a preferred dose, or is it really at this point not being looked at in that way?
1: This is another active area of research. There's currently an NIH-funded trial that's ongoing. This is a multi-institutional study where we're trying to get past some of the limitations from those studies that are in the meta-analysis. As I had indicated, there are a variety of treatment durations that were used in the different trials as well as differing doses of some of the different agents, some combined with corticosteroids and some without. The goal of the ongoing NIH trial is to determine the appropriate dose of the uh, agent used to facilitate stone passage as well as uh, the duration of treatment necessary. So there is a lot of investigation ongoing right now looking at uh, this useful adjunct to uh, the treatment of ureteral
0: that is very, very helpful and insightful. I want to thank Dr. John Hollingsworth, who's been our guest as we've been discussing medical expulsive therapy for kidney stones. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.